0: This podcast is created in partnership with Film Studies and the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences at the University of Sydney.
1: We acknowledge the tradition of custodianship and law of the country on which the University of Sydney campuses stand, as well as the Darug people, where we all grew up. We pay our respects to those who have cared for and continue to care for country. I wish I knew how to quit. I see that. Alright, Mr. DeMille, I'm
2: ready for
1: my close-up. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Get away from her, you bitch! I'm going to go. Do you want me to go f***ing trash your lights?
0: Take two. Film vs. Film. We're back! (laughs) Hello, friends, and welcome back to the first official episode for Season 2 of Film vs. Film the podcast where every episode we throw two different films into the ring, discuss their place in history, their modern virtues, and how they stack up against each other. Which film will hold up and which film will be left on the cutting room floor. And today we're diving headfirst into multiple multiverses. Yes, it looks like the world of blockbusters have finally caught up with the theoretical world of quantum mechanics and audiences are loving it. One film today is what my parents would call a cartoon, and the other a bizarre sci-fi comedy that went on to win seven Oscars. What do these two films have in common, and what does the multiverse actually mean in a post-truth, post-Trump world? My name is Craig Anderson, and I'm a filmmaker, clown, and all-round movie lover, and joining me today, as always, are my two best friends from high school film fan, science buff, and someone who at the age of 16 decided to bite a radioactive spider before it bit him, it's Herschel Isaacs.
1: Hi, everyone. I can't believe we made it to season two. I'm so excited about this. And the two movies we've got today, you couldn't, you couldn't beat them. You couldn't beat these two.
0: All right. Also joining us is the long-haired, bizarro version of Herschel. It's the associate <laughs> professor of film at the University of Sydney, Bruce Isaacs. Hi,
1: Craig. Hey,
0: Herschel. I am... So- Ecstatic beyond words that we made it to season two. Now, we grew up in the sprawling suburbs of Western Sydney and spent all of our free time watching movies. Last season, we shouted out to institutions that made us love film. And I'd like to open up this season to films and shows that we shared that fostered our passion for the movies. This week, I'd like to cast both your minds back to Oscar season 1994, when three pimply teenage boys the train from Mount Draught Station all the way into the Big Smoke. I think we might have gotten off at Wynyard, and we went to see Steven Spielberg's Shinless List. Wow, that was such a formative day. I think it was a massive day for all of us. Yeah. We
1: even, in times after that, reflected on... How significant that... It was almost like a, a stand-by-me rite of passage. You know, the way they traveled to mm. it and we were catching
0: the train into the city. Schindler's List was a huge movie of the day. I should say, we were in year 12. This was the beginning of our year 12. Yeah. Uh, final year of high school. Yes. The
1: other thing I'd say is, um, we, at the time, we used to catch up on the movie show with David and Margaret on a Wednesday night and then go and watch things on the weekend. Yeah. Now, we had caught the Schindler's List um, movie show the previous Wednesday, and then we were massively psyched to go and see this mm. movie. Bruce, you and I had also talked about Tom Keneally's book, Schindler's yeah. Ark. Before that, Schindler's Ark had come had out you, miles ago. You would read that? No, no no, no, no. No, we hadn't. We hadn't read it. But, but, but we knew we about it was a big and deal. It was a, it yeah. was a huge thing. Um, and I think from memory, David Stratton <laughs> gave it five stars. We had
0: Schindler's fever.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was a big deal. And the other thing was The way this entered pop culture culture afterward, right? Like, I was watching Seinfeld. uh, Mm. Not I'm watching Seinfeld a bit at the moment, but do you remember the Schindler's List episode where Joe's making out in Schindler's List? Yes. So it's entered pop culture, and it's kind of cool to think that it was a formative experience for the three of us because it was such a big deal Mm. for everybody
0: outside of it as well. Here's what I can remember. We got off and we went to Pitt Street to – back in the day, there were less multiplexes and more independent cinemas. And and my mum speaks of times where there was a cinema on just about every block in Sydney. Yeah, wow. But um, we went to Pitt Street. It was a greater union. It was Twin – and it was somewhere between um, Martin Place and just a little bit of Bathurst Street. So it was just this one cinema, and it must have been a special advanced screening because we looked up in the newspaper where to go, and that was like we had to go into this one place to see it.
1: The other thing I want to say is something uh, – I hadn't thought about this in seriously a couple of decades, more than that probably. Mm. This is early Spielberg when he was synonymous with – Ultimately in entertainment yeah. right? So now he makes escapism. a movie Yeah, escapism yeah. So we and, don't expect and, ju-
0: Jurassic Park had come out The year before oh, Are you serious?
1: Yeah. Around about I, I don't know how many months Before this yes. But because we were so keen On this movie mm. We were watching Entertainment Tonight you guys remember <laughs> Entertainment Tonight Lisa Gibbons And John Tesh That's right John Tesh. Now Entertainment Tonight Asked Steven Spielberg if they could do a piece on Schindler's List. Now, it was massively under wraps. And I don't know if you both remember, but it really st- it stood out to me. And We talked about this at depth at school the next day. But Spielberg wouldn't allow them to film in color. So Entertainment mm, Tonight, wow, the segment, was in black and white. What? Yes. What? I don't, I don't, was in I black don't and remember white. that, but I love that level of commitment. Because this movie, Spielberg said... When it came out, it was the hardest film he'd ever made, mm. and he had been sitting on Schindler's Ark apparently for a decade, but he didn't think he had the maturity to make Schindler's List because Tom Keneally had so sold, the yeah. okay. sold the rights ages ago. it sold the rights. I should like say a long time black ago. and
0: white movies I, I, because I remember when this was coming out, it was nominated for everything. Yes, the the touchstone for the last black and white to be nominated was Elephant Man. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, he kept saying there hasn't been a nomination for Best Picture since Elephant Man that's been black and white. And we, my experience of black and white films was. Comedies only, like Jerry yeah. Lewis, Abbott and Costello, Bringing Up Baby, yeah. Screwball Comedies, Marx yeah. Brothers. I, I hadn't become like a highfalutin art person who looked at no, movies. No, and so. I hadn't
1: either, but we definitely saw some psychic because Herschel and I uh, yeah, watched of movies. My dad had a beauty collection, mm. which we talked about last season, and he definitely had the 39 Steps and he had The Lady Vanishes. And I'd right, seen right. those movies at least five times each by the time I was about nine. Okay, so we'd
0: seen a couple of Black and White, but of course- Everything was color. Cinema was color. VHS yeah, and yeah. inherited color TV was color.
1: I just want to take us to the actual experience of the cinema on that day, though. So I don't know. Can I just say? Can you yes. remember that it was raining? Yes, it was very yeah. well. It was, it was well. a, it was it a was was rainy day. It was yeah. really <laughs> ra- It was like it was a grey day. Yeah. I, I mean, think- this is gonna sound this is gonna sound sad, but <laughs> to some extent, it was a perfect day, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so we turn up at the cinema, and the three of us were sitting there. And I don't know if you both remember, but there were. These, these older women sitting behind mm. us, and as the movie progressed, the level of their emotion somehow brushed off onto us, wow. and then it was making us emotional. <laughs> yeah. Like we were caught up in the, in, in, the, yeah. in, the yeah. in the in the sadness that they were experiencing, and I'll never forget that because I was like caught up in I was like almost. Uh, it, Almost linked to somebody else's pain that they were feeling through yeah. what was depicted on the screen. It was incredible. I mean, that's really interesting. and I mean, my se- my feeling of Schindler's is, Now, I don't remember mm. when I started to feel that movie doesn't hold up. Right. I don't think it was in that screening because in that no, screening, not. not in that screening, it meant so much to us, right? Yeah. And I, I, like, I'm calling like on memory year, but I had a feeling like we had seen something that had almost projected us into another phase of our movie going live because yeah. it was serious we knew it was serious oscar style but stuff. when
0: had we ever the three of us yeah. gone to a movie to sit there and cry together <laughs> like that wasn't what we went to the movies <laughs> for but that, but that was that was an incredibly formative thing Yeah, though. it was that that that, mu- for that it sort of
1: meant so much to us and that yeah. um we became so emotionally attached to what we were seeing on the screen the other thing is you you make an interesting point Bruce about does the movie hold up? I haven't seen it probably in a couple of years, I suppose. But it's Ray Fine's breakout yeah. as Armand yeah. Girth, and remember afterward. And I don't know if this is inappropriate or something like that, but I used to go around going, um, "I pardon you, I pardon yeah. you," for it, because yes, that was I such a strange that. thing in yeah. the movie. Yes, the three of us have definitely had like a number of events in our lives that have been formative, big things. Like I came into this event something, and I left it something a little bit different.
0: Yeah, and yeah. Th- but that's one of them. And I think we'll, we'll explore more of those yeah, this yeah, season yeah. Um, because we've realized, you know, like we, we haven't run out of spaces, but we have decided, well, we should open it up to other things to other as things, well. Things that and it's a, and it's a shout-out yeah. to this
1: topic because I actually think it goes hand-in-hand hand with what we did last season about capturing nostalgia because nostalgia is both where you may have visited where you may yeah. have gone and what links us, but it's also what we think about those things. And also things films. you encountered. Yeah. So yeah. I like this topic where it's like, Okay, that moment of Schindler's List for all of us. Mm. It wasn't a space. It wasn't the library. It wasn't the Penrith... Hate in cinemas. It was like this day in our lives. Yeah, that was a yeah. good. And
0: okay, another shout out. I got the train into the QVB where there was a, a CD store because I went and bought the soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and I remember having to save my money. It was $30. That's how much a CD was back then. So if you saw a movie and you loved a song or a piece yeah, yeah. of the, the music from it, you'd have to wait to buy it. I remember I
1: bought it, the Dances of the soundtrack and that was so <laughs> special for me. We had
0: it on cassette, remember? We used yeah. to share it on buses. We'd s- yeah. swap the cassette. That and the Cranberries. And- <laughs> As always, today's episode will be full of spoilers of the two films that we're discussing. And if other films pop up as we chat, we will do our best not to ruin them for you. Let's get into it. Take one. First up on today's show, it's 2022's everything everywhere all at once the directing team of daniel kwan and daniel Scheinert, collectively known as the daniels had spent a decade making well-regarded music videos and in 2016 their absurd corpse comedy feature debut starring daniel radcliffe swiss army man was a moderate hit their second film everything everywhere all at once is the story of a chinese-american immigrant played by michelle yao who, whilst being tax-audited, discovers that she is the heroic linchpin inside an infinite multiverse. What follows is an array of fast-cut scenes set in parallel dimensions, featuring Michelle Yao's character, her husband's sidekick-slash-mentor, played by Ki-Huai Quan, and the villain of the story, who takes the form of her daughter, played by Stephanie Hugh. It opened with a very limited release in March 2022, then grew to a wide American release, eventually taking in $141 million worldwide. Critics and audiences loved it, and it became A24's biggest film ever, and an instant cult classic. Wikipedia claims that it is the most awarded film of all time. Bruce, can you explain what the hell this film is about? I'm going to give him my best shot. I want to provide a little bit of context
1: for this film and why, for me, it was such a phenomenon in Hollywood and in um, global pop culture, right? All right? So Herschel Craig and I saw the new Indiana Jones movie a few days ago, our time as we're recording, and I looked up some stats, and that movie cost $295 million,
2: Wow.
1: and it's currently going into, obviously, a box office war, trying to make that back. Everything, everywhere, all at once Was everywhere in the media This was it so galvanized audiences globally In the US, in Australia, in the UK But then obviously also in You know, East Asia This movie mm. cost about 18 million Made back about 200 million Wow. So it's really hard to come to terms with what the movie is Outside of understanding where it sits industrially Can the I, other just thing, say, I just say Yeah, of course, say, go for
0: it I, When I went to see it in cinema Which was only about uh, six months after it first came out It was introduced by the Daniels using their mobile phone camera footage. Where did you see this? No, no, not in person. Oh, okay. But this re-release, so it had multiple re-releases, including after the Oscar wins, it got re-released again wide. So it kept getting re-released. And the one I saw had those two introducing it, saying, (laughs) hey, thanks for all the support. We can't believe we're re-releasing it. And this is six months before the Oscars. Yeah. And don't
1: forget, you guys are over my place for the Oscars, right? That's right. So we're watching it. The Oscars begin. You know, it's going, and we're expecting, well, other outcomes. And this movie sweeps it. Absolutely. Mm, More so, I mean, we watched Silence of the Lambs when they won the big five Oscars Mm. and all that sort of thing. This movie swept it like I've never seen a movie do it before. And it makes you ask the question, how is that possible? What is it about this movie? Do you guys sense that when it was sweeping, as the night went on... There was this almost collective jubilation. Yeah, that it was not just but, that but it was the winning. The Daniels
0: they had such a huge social media following, and people invested in them. They yeah. had to go out the day before the Oscars and tell their fans, "Please don't be upset if we don't win." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've never heard of it. That is such yeah, yeah, a strange yeah. concept. A director has to say, "Please don't be angry when I don't win." So bizarre. Yeah, this yeah. came out of left So weird. much I love. did not see this yeah.
1: coming at all. So I think I have a solid handle on the movie. Great. Um, it's about. For me, what's interesting is why did people receive the movie the way it was received? What does it say about us as a a, a contemporary movie-going culture? What does it say about the battles Hollywood's always facing? right it doesn't seem to me coincidental or controversial if we were to say hollywood's been fighting a war with its own kind of cultural oscars right the oscars are too white the oscars are too black the oscars doesn't have enough diversity it doesn't surprise me that a film like everything everywhere all at once comes along and it's almost like modeled diversity and i don't mean that in Jeez. any critical sense right it's an orchestrated form of diversity and it's perfect timing It just so happens to be on the back of an incredibly ingenious concept. And that's, I suppose, an idea I want to take forward, that there's a lot of ingenuity in this film. The other thing I want to say is, Craig mentioned before, this came out through the studio A24. A24 is one of the leading uh, independent studio companies that are trying to kick in the door of what they perceive to be banal, ordinary, kind of big budget studio filmmaking. So if you've seen, you know, Ari Aster, all this stuff through A24, right? He this? just released Bo is Afraid, Hereditary, *Midsummer*. Midsummer. Midsummer. Right. So if you see those films and you know how confronting they are and how challenging they are, A24 when they started out, they were doing, you know, um, small budgets, 5 million, 10 million, 12 million. But the time they move along into the 2020s, They're putting big money into what we would perceive to be pretty independent types of films. Mm. So the big question for them, Bruce, is whether they can maintain a kind of independence. And that's not only a question for them. That's been a question for the entire history of filmmaking. Can independent films have money injected into it and make a return? So everything, everywhere, all at once. Hey, great box office. They spend 20. They take back 200. That's going to fund your next few movies. Maybe if not for that movie, they don't fund Ari Aster to do Bowie's Afraid, which is by far his biggest budget film, right? All of that said, is independent... Well, okay, my question to, to you guys. Do you see Everything Everywhere All at Once as an independent cult movie, or do you see it as a big mainstream genre movie? Well, it's, it's mainstream in the sense of the amount of money it made, but if you'd have said to me that a movie that at its heart is really a work of absurdism, Mm. And that it would catch on and that you could make a movie that is basically fast absurdity, you can't contain any narrative form, and it would sweep the Oscars. I would have said you were crazy. Like my What universe are we in here, guys? <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's like a Brendan wow. Fraser. Remember when he won for The Whale? Oh, and he got up and he said... That's what to it say? That's an alternate universe, or you said something, and we were no, sitting there going, "No I know what it's like to be in an in an alternate, in an alternate universe. universe." That's right.
0: I don't. I think the film, the ethos is indie. Yes, I feel like it's inherited everything indie.
1: So why What makes you say that? Like, what about it makes it indie for you? It makes because no I agree. Sense. It's
0: interesting. It does feature. You just, just say it
1: makes no sense. It makes no sense to me. <laughs> I tell you that. I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah. I wonder how many people listening go, "Oh yeah, I get it." You know, could have made this if Lars von Trier had made it. I'd
1: have gone there it is that makes perfect
0: sense to me what do you mean maybe not mean that he, that he chose he to do.
1: yeah no because he he went he he was indie he was mm. experimental but he started getting money pumped into his work right because he started to get a cult following yeah now he could branch out and then do something well he has branched out and done stuff that's well over the top that too, i don't know how these guys got it i, I still don't well, know i i have a really different take to you guys well go I, ahead think not only does it make sense, I think it's an incredibly simple film that tra- travels through the exactly the same formulaic structures as everything Hollywood has done since about I, the late No, 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 I'm not saying it doesn't make sense. Wow. I'm saying the way that it's presented yeah. is in a form that you could liken it to, okay, you know, you could liken it to orthodox filmmaking or dance or creativity or versus very experimental stuff. Mm. And yet, it made a ton of money. So, what I'm trying to work out is how did it catch on with the audience to that degree? I mean, to what extent, to someone like Jamie Lee Curtis, who you know it was very, very powerful in her um, social media around this film, mm. a whole bunch of people. Mm. So, to what extent is this a social media v- media vehicle, and that caught on? Could it be the first social media film that swept the Oscars? Because this has come through I think out that's of left a good field. Point. I, I think, think that's, that's an excellent yeah, point. Yeah. I also think it's one of the very first films where. People lauded it also, and I think this is just – they lauded it for its diversity. Mm. I think it's an astonishingly sophisticated take on (laughs) the fact that we are incredibly
0: different and diverse people. Can I just say that the streaming service that uh, I'm watching it on – Had watched this if you liked Crazy Rich Asians. I'm like, what the hell? Wow, what was that on? Was that uh, what's binge or something? I think it was binge. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, what are you? What is the connection here? I mean, see, that's what that's disgusting, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: And so this is what I think everything everywhere did was to try to subvert some of those stereotypes. Mm. And so, okay, the reason I say it's such a simple film, this is a basic idea. I think, in 19th and 20th century philosophy, right? Which is in the era in which we really no longer believe in a god, right? We've come and gone through Nietzsche. God is dead. We no longer have these grand mythologies of religion and purpose and science. I'm going to throw over to Herschel in a second to talk us through quantum theory. Yes, I'm ready. Right? Yes. ready. Because this movie is all about quantum theory. So fast forward to 2021 or 2022, this is a movie that is trying to, I think, run a very simple um, comparison. Do you think there is such a thing as order in the universe? Or do you think the universe is chaotic and completely random? That's not original to everything everywhere. That's in, like, philosophy through Plato. The The interesting thing about this movie is they find the most ingenious... And dramatic, and just action-packed way of bringing it to the screen—that's what makes it so fantastic. But we shouldn't get away from the fact that this movie is the
0: Matrix. It's the I was same about to say, story Bruce, you're talking like, and that's what makes exactly not, the same I'm story. Say, when you started as an academic, yeah. wasn't your PhD about on the, the Matrix? Matrix yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this movie is exactly the Matrix. Yeah, and He's, you edited a whole book, like a whole publication of, about of, it, of right? works yeah. on the Matrix. Yeah. And
1: the Matrix was the same phenomenon in 1999. Mm. Do we know what we're doing? Do we understand ourselves, our lives? Are we in some kind of simulation? And in fact, everything's random and made up for us. The only thing I'll say that's um, where Everything Everywhere takes a huge departure, which we can come back to with Herschel's taking quantum theory, is what does the movie ultimately conclude? And the movie, and I, I'm gonna come back to mise scene, but I'm just gonna, I'll come back to it in mise scene. But I'm just going to say one quick line from the movie, which is in the critical scene where we see the, the sort of the, the denouement or the final point at which we're going to resolve the central arc of the movie. We've got Evelyn, played by Michelle Yao, and we've got Waymond, who's played by Ki Hui Kwon. They are going to debate how to find purpose in your life. And for Evelyn, it's you have to keep fighting because the whole world is against you. And for Waymond, it's this is how I fight. You don't fight, you be kind. So if we think about that as attention in life, what is it to have Bruce, purpose? Can, I just, can it's, I just jump in there for a second? Yeah, Isn't go. that exactly the matrix though? Because of course it is. In the simulation. But it's not just the matrix, it's virtually every major franchise in Hollywood. <laughs> because when, when she says the one thing I know is that I love you, when yes. Trinity says that to Neo, yes. so they can still pin themselves on an overarching moral. Yes, I guess. I and mean, morality is the connection of beings, right? Because remember, the cut immediately then in everything, everywhere is to the two rocks. Mm. Remember when the mm. one rock falls over the cliff? Mm. What happens? The other rock jumps over. Now, think about that in the context of, say, a slightly darker tradition in philosophy, which is to say randomness doesn't lead to, like, savor every precious moment in time because that's what means something to us. Randomness is... I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I don't know what I'm here for, and everything's awful.
0: I just want to say, I have no idea what's going on. I I, like, (laughs) (laughs) just for my audience, that anyone who's listening who is like me. I don't know what happened in that movie. I've watched it twice now. And I've, I, I understand that we're talking about themes yes. and big things. And I also think that both The Matrix I get a little bit more and the Spider-Man movie we're going to do, I do get that a, a lot more, I think. But in, in Everything Everywhere, all I know is emotionally I feel fulfilled at the end. Yeah. But I have no idea what the hell was going okay, on Okay, so Do the quantum very much theory take. What are they talking about this in this This is going to be spectacular. Look, so I very yes. much
1: have the same response to you, Craig. Okay. Yeah. Here's the interesting thing about like quantum theory. Um, It goes back a long way really to the start of the 1900s when you got a whole bunch of people working, including people like Einstein, really huge names in physics. And they discover, I guess, a degree of uncertainty or indeterminacy, they called it, in the basic laws of our nature. So if you look at something at a small enough scale, at the atomic scale, what we'll find is that we can't know everything about, about that particular particle. And that's the issue, because it leads to an inbuilt uncertainty or indeterminacy in everything that's around us. So if you go back over hundreds of years, the one thing- This is a
0: hell of a first episode, man. I'm just saying, (laughs) the one thing that
1: pinned us down in terms of what we were confident of, was the fact that, you know, if you go back a couple of hundred years, Humans had primacy over everything else. We understood the world, but there was choice and causation in what was going on. Freedom of choice. What quantum mechanics did was it, it presented a... It really challenged that concept of anything being
0: purely pushed along by causation. Because we've, we've had philosophers in the past say, yes. who knows? But this is the first time the science well, goes Shakespeare, well. Shakespeare, well, things-
1: this is scientists saying... You know all that stuff where you said you doubt everything? Yeah, I'm showing you that even scientific natural principles seems to agree. We should doubt everything. So then the question became, and Mm -hmm. the response was, all right, now we can't know anything with certainty. What's our response? Because scientists in in the unending... Um, strive for knowledge had to come up with an answer to this, and one answer that caught on was called the Many Worlds Theory, which was actually first published by a person named Hugh Everett. Okay, it's about the 1950s. The See many worlds. theory. Herschel is about this stuff? This is good stuff. Hey, this stuff. Is this I don't story? know, this I don't know is why we haven't man. been doing
0: science film this. This stuff whole is fascinating. Yeah, well, wait, yeah, Herschel wait, really, really we get started on that. Wow.
1: Now, once when he's what he was basically saying was. Because everything is indeterminate, and I can only know one state of a particular thing. I can only know on, on a subatomic particle. I can oh, no, know so don't the get mo- too crazy, though. Okay? Okay. <laughs> I can know the momentum of something or the position of something. I can't know both. And without those two things, you can't know everything about the thing. So what he said was, every time you observed it or made a choice, it's, it literally, and I'm, I'm saying this, it splits the universe into another yep. world. And that's the Uh, many worlds theory. So have you ever, you've heard of Schrodinger's cat? Yeah, Schrodinger's yeah, cat yeah, 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 yeah. The two cats One's alive One's dead At the same time yeah. now, just So this is basically Everything everywhere All at once so I just Except say there's that not two of them What's important an infinite in mind. Though. It's no, important But it's also it
0: like It's the infinite paths Right It's yeah. like you yeah. You could go this way or the But way. I, I, I do want to say That, that They do that a in joke. this movie With the mirror cracking All the time There's that mirror cracking image And then yeah. there's two images At the same time But the theory is not a joke It's like sliding doors Right It's like sliding doors My favourite film of all time
1: I follow Sean Carroll Who's a physicist A fantastic person and on this who has a podcast called Mindscape Sean if you're out there please reference us Um, but Sean (laughs) Carroll um, is actually uh, a proponent or supporter of the many worlds theory that's to prove I mean I I just want to make it clear that this is not like a fictional crazy sort of thing this is actually supported by some of the leading theorists in the world on this so when I watch Everything Everywhere um, what I do love about it is this idea that it's all predicated on indeterminacy and uncertainty Relationships—we're all at dislocation. We're all fragmented. The mother, the daughter, the mo- the husband, the wife, mm. the tax office, the oversight—you're trying your best, but you don't know what your best is. Um, all of it is about dislocation and uncertainty okay. and fragmentation. Now, the fact that the 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 resolution is that you know all you need is love—that's uh-huh. basically what the uh-huh. message is. I kind of like that. Where I have a quibble with this movie is Do that you have a quibble. Well, Based on science? No, no, no. Okay. it's it's the it's I guess to some extent. I'm not a fan of the absurdity. That's just something I can't connect to. So I can't build that emotional quality. Right. right? But something what I, like, loved was, yeah. I loved was I loved Michelle Yao. I mm. loved uh, sorry. What was it? Kiyun Kwan. Kiyung Kwan. I I think they they're wonderful in. It. I love his daughter. I love their daughter. Yeah, yeah. I think they're mm. all wonderful in this. The the bagel. The bagel is like that— I thought the bagel was just a work of genius. So it's this right? concept sure. of, of, of an so, infinite so the black hole that touches on everything yeah, that will collapse the everything. The bagel is basically the thing we fear the most from a, a, a Western philosophical tradition, that there's ultimately no meaning to anything. Mm-hmm. And the bagel, you know, when um, Jobu Tupaki looks at it, it's basically— she, she says to Evelyn, you have to embrace this. This is all there is. There's no other reason f- to assume there's purpose or there's choice. We are just that, and we're all going to get sucked into it. <laughs> so I'm following up on from that. Except, of course, then Evelyn turns her back on it. And that's the ultimate affirmation that Neo's going to make and Harry Potter's well, going to make. we're going to have
0: Spider-Man make that. We're going to have, have Spider-Man in the, in the Spider-Verse make yeah, it. Yeah.
1: So I guess what I'm saying is that affirmation is not just a thing of big mainstream movies. It's not just everything everyone didn't invent it. What they're doing is they're playing with a kind of philosophical trope. They've just done it with a multiverse and I've never seen before. And Craig, i asked ask you a question about, is this complicated? I just, on a, sec- on a second and third viewing, I saw it as there was one universe that discovered how to leap out to other universes. Mm. What you can do is you can, you can control that Using a technology that the first unit. So, are you trying to explain it to me? Now? Yeah, I'm trying to explain oh, it right, to you, on, Craig. Well, it's less and complex than Spider Man. Wh- what? Yeah, it's what? way less complex than Spider Man. I've watched that
0: everything twice, and I just feel like every time I watch it, I'm overcome with. The, this is my problem with the filmmaking it's the, the bells filmmaking. and whistles that it's are confusing it's the bells and you. whistles that I am the... so emotionally attached to the first fight scene that I'm like okay that's got to be the end of the movie right but it's not no. there's still two hours and it's going to get even but more but remember the fundamental
1: challenge of the movie which makes it so brilliant is the entirety of Evelyn Is not the Evelyn we fall in love with at the start of the movie when they have to go do her taxes. Mm. Evelyn is an infinitely differentiated person in the multiverse. No one's more superior than another. Evelyn is all of those people. And when we now close off the narrative, you know, in the Evelyn, in that final Evelyn world. Those other worlds are still living. You yeah, me see. That's where I'm a little bit confused. So to some extent, that's where I disagree with you, Bruce. Because I don't think it's the narrative that won the Oscars year. I think that if you if you if you take it all down a notch, this is fundamentally a love story. But a love story in very many contexts. It's it's a it's a parental love story. Mm. It's it's about husband and wife. It's about working your way through life, being completely fragmented, being uncertain about everything. And at the end of the day, going. Well, to me, love is enough. That's so what is it that, is. Is that what you think, Herschel? that this movie is saying we exist in a universe of complete randomness? It's that beautiful Stephen Hawking line. In a world of like an infinitely big universe, you are, you're nothing. You're just so insignificant. And yet there's only ever going to be one of you. That makes you at once the most significant a, it's thing. It's a And the least significant thing. It's a right? lovely okay. concept. Now, is that what this movie is doing? I think that, if I, but that's what I took, that's in my notes. So I, I've got it, it's a love story, but it's a love story about fractured love. It's about being dislocated, it's being isolated. It's about not is, fitting in But is that in. this movie's answer to perfect randomness? That ultimately, you know, all you, all you need is but love. But isn't that, so I Hamlet should have played though? that over the but when Hamlet at the end. Says, mm, okay. when Hamlet says, there is no good or bad, but thinking makes it so, like that. Hamlet says that? So, in he's on the he's on the heel with Rosencrantz and Gildenstern. That sounds
0: like what is that? Observational particle wave, you know, like that kind of theory, right? But, well, it's relativism, right? Okay, yeah, right. yeah but, but he's not world. talking about the natural
1: world, though. No, no, no. He's but talking about a kind of internal yeah, way but, but of, but it, but of it's, thinking. But it, it's and still being. about subjectivity versus yeah. an objective truth yeah. out there, right? What I'm saying is it's taking quantum mechanics and saying that we have indeterminacy as a, a part of nature. There's nothing we will ever do that will overcome this. So what do we have to hold on to? The fact that we're human, the fact that we love. But it's kind of, don't you, just in saying that, right, don't you think that's an incredibly trite, not your conclusion, I agree with you, don't you think for a movie that's a really trite conclusion? Well, it's Rocky. I I love it, but I love those movies. You know, we discovered perfect randomness, but you know what, we're all going to be okay because cherish those moments of love. But I I mean, are you the, serious? But that's it. <laughs> that's but all that, you got for me. But that's on, so why I'm asking. Like, you
0: just don't like that. No, okay, so what, what I will say is, like, like that. I,
1: I find the last 20 minutes a bit cloying. This whole thing of, mm. you know, let's all connect with each other and the rocks that love each other. And I don't buy that in the world. If you're going to give – if the world is random, let's rather confront what it is. Ultimately, look, we've spent thousands of years trying to mythologize the fact that we won't die. Everything, everywhere is just another example of mythologizing that we never die. Because if you've got purpose, you ultimately never die, right? Well, if you don't have purpose, you know, this is that Woody Allen thing. He doesn't, you know, I don't want to um, be immortal through my art. I want to be immortal through not dying. That's the fundamental difference there, it seems to me. I still have a question, though. If you would have told me that a couple of guys were going to write a movie and make a movie about quantum mechanics and the indeterminacy of the world and – They're going to talk about the fact that you can't pin yourself on any absolutism. So the best you can do to be the best human you can do to love, to enjoy your life as much as possible is to love what is around you. I'd go, yeah, I love that. It's been done a lot, but that's a great idea. But if you told me that you're going to represent it in the way this movie is represented, in the uh, the absurdism, in the Mm. method that they use, Mm. and it was going to make $200 million and sweep the Oscars, I'd have said, you're crazy. But I, that, yeah. I'm, I'm really interested in investigating that. How did that happen? I like happen? that.
0: I think if you're going to be, if but you're hey, going to deal like that with happened, nonsense, that I'll be honest. Mm. Someone who can't get this stuff. Sounds like nonsense anyway, so throw in some Yo, There's a lot of lines
1: where they say, yeah. hey, don't worry about it. You don't have to figure out what's going on. I mean, yeah, that, that's a big joke the Let me the tell you the one thing I
0: got right? a lot was Rakakuni. I really got that guy. Like, <laughs> I love that that's guy. That's the storyline I connect with the most in this <laughs> whole film. Remember when he gets exposed <laughs> and <you say> he's <laughs> so yeah. emotional about it? Yeah, yeah, it's excellent. That was man. great. That's what I really perk up every, you know, every <laughs> time comes that's in. on. I'm like, oh, what's going on with Rakakuni? Yeah. Come on. Get but that, I mean, I also want to say that...
1: The one thing we haven't talked as much about is this movie is a knowing and strategic way of showing that we're all ultimately different. That all the random variations
0: of what a human being is are actually mm. of value. And that's a very contemporary message. This, this is a lot, very philosophical for a movie that has so much martial arts in it as well. <laughs> like, yeah, well, the martial arts is great. Ridiculously good martial well, arts Jackie and Chan's fighting stuff and is Sun cool. stuff is so good.
1: Yeah. And Jackie Chan, just um, in my research of it, Jackie Chan was going to play Michelle character. He was the original, yes. But um, they went with Michelle Yeoh. So let's, for a a moment, hypothesize what would this movie have been. Not only mm. that you had Jackie Chan, but that you had a male at the core of this film, and then it almost certainly would have been a male with a son, not a mother with a daughter. So then we get the traditional Oedipal narrative that we've got with Neo and Morpheus, or that we've got with you know, every single male character and their father that they're fighting a battle with, right? We have the traditional Oedipal narrative. Instead, what's overturned is we get Michelle Yao, and it's a mother and a daughter. And I think that massively elevates it. It makes it original. It makes it immediately a feminist film. But,
0: I mean, nobody right. but, likes know, nobody likes. You compare Jackie it even Chiang. to Spider-Man, right? Yeah. The Spider-Man film we're going to talk about yes. after this. That's all about father and yeah. son of and father, destiny and uncle. you am no, but you, got, and no, but you uncle, the the this up, you've got, you got, so uh, you got Gwen. Yeah, Gwen, Gwen. kind I think that's Kinda. massive. Like, actually, all that's about... a part of what I'm talking but about. But that's interesting.
1: How come... The Gwen. Well, well, come back to it. But how come the Gwen story doesn't have the mother-daughter?
0: Yeah, but is you it look at Miles daughter? Morales's mother in yeah. that movie. You know, she's such a a beacon let of let's yeah. yeah. Of let's, a let's hold yeah. In yeah. Spider-Man yeah. Yeah. until we get to all right. Yeah, let's get Good to before. Spider-Man.
1: I want to make one more point. The, 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 the last point I want to make on everything, Everywhere is I I do think it's a lovely story, but I think it was created in such a way with the absurdism and the method that they used that the money that it made. It actually spoke to a cohort that saw this movie again and again. They loved the humor of it. And I just couldn't connect with it as much. Mm. But is the concept of uncertainty and indeterminacy? And then, okay, I'm going to hang my hat on the concept of love because human beings are special. And, you know, that's a lovely idea. It's been done uh, yeah. many times. It's, well, a it's been done idea. many times. And I've got to say, it's so much more cliché in this. Than in a lot of things I've seen over the last five years, because it's hard in Hollywood now to be cliched in an era in which we're supposed to be all knowing, we're supposed to be smart and sassy and ironic. Um, This movie, like, talk about wearing its heart on its sleeve. The last 10 minutes, as I said before, I found it very cloying because for all the ingenuity
0: that we've seen. What do you mean by cloying? I don't know what this word is. Oh, I
1: just mean it's so in your face, Mm -hmm. this is what it means to live a good life. Uh, It's so
0: like, Really? But it's over the top Come sentimental on, It's very sentimental It's so
1: it? sentimental And it's so much I'm not going to let you go This is how to live a good yeah, life but Bruce, Hug each other doesn't well, that okay. Be kind well, okay. but, but doesn't that doesn't that re- <laughs> Doesn't that relate to the fact That when they won the Best Picture Oscar And all of them are standing on the stage And then they all made the bagel with their hands Yeah, But I don't get that Because the bagel <laughs> is the metaphor for apathy the bagel is the lack of anything. So um, I don't know why they they made they're the showing each they other the bagels. Bagel. I, the I, bagel is like a lot of like in in in, life, in 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 film theory, for example, the bagel is like the, the 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 manifestation of what's called the abject, that which is like the worst thing you can encounter, but you have no language for it. Thank you. I'm done. With well, that. I,
0: I don't know why anyone would still be listening. I don't understand. Like, if you love philosophy and science, th- to the this two or three excellent. people
1: still awake, <laughs> I found that. A, <laughs> I found that. A, a, I promise the second half. This is going to be a rip. But, can we actually <laughs> talk about a movie that's remotely entertaining? Let's get it. Well, that's no. No. I, can no, I, like I just say everywhere. to conclude this discussion, I loved everything, everywhere, all at once. I didn't love the last 10, 15 minutes where it's trying to explain randomness to me. All
0: right. Well, we're going to get into a lot more about multiverses and other films that mention multiverses. gonna made a whole list of films that have multiverses in them but for now it's time for our second film take two our second film is 2023's spider-man across the spider-verse after a long history of live action feature films multiple tv shows comic books and computer games, the character of Spider-Man appeared in a 2018 animated blockbuster called Spider-Man Enter the Spider-Verse. This film took out the Oscar for Best Animated Feature as well as $350 million worldwide. So it was only inevitable that in 2023 a sequel was going to be released. That film is called Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse and follows the continuing adventures of Miles and Gwen as they deal with the multiple universes introduced in the first film. The multi-stranded plots follow a burgeoning love affair, themes of parental control, destiny, duty and responsibility. The film ends with our main characters being far away from where they want to be and a title card which reads, To Be Continued. With a runtime of 140 minutes, it's officially the longest-running animated film made by the American studio system. As of the end of June 2023, the film has taken in close to $600 million worldwide with more receipts still to come. It has also been reviewed extremely well around the world. It's probably worth noting that despite the cast remaining consistent, both films share only one common writer and have been directed by a different trio of men each time. Herschel, what's your take on Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse? All right, thanks, Craig. Look, it's the
1: first episode of our second season, and... I want to go all in. I want to okay. be really ambitious here. <laughs> Hang on. You're not going to um, go too philosophical, okay, No, look, Because... All right, go on. Because well, we just had a nightmare. Because my brain wine. is like leaking. <laughs> I tend to never really say that I love a movie on a first viewing. After I saw Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, my son Lockie and I went to see it. We saw it in one of those extreme cinemas. I'm in the front row mm. and it's... It's overwhelming. It's almost uncomfortable. Okay, it's that big in your face. It's in like every, 2001 when in he's every in every single that, uh, sense. In every single when sense. When he's going through the wormhole. he's going through the wormhole, yeah. That's what it reminds um, me of. Herschel's, his, his face is splitting.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, I've seen this a
1: second time. And I now think that this movie is going to be remembered. I don't know what's going to happen with the third movie. And I really hope it does justice to, what, to where they've ended up here. But I think the second movie is going to end up being judged as up there with the classics of trilogies. We know now this is going to go into Spider-Man beyond the Spider-Verse. And I'm gonna reference this as I continue, but I'm starting to see something like, you know, the Back to the Future 2 kind of thing, that that kind of addition of the alternate reality that turns everything on its head. Um, I absolutely love this movie. I think it's one of the great achievements, certainly in animation, but I think it's one of the great achievements that I've seen in a long time. I'm 30 minutes into it, right, we're sitting there, And I know you both have seen it uh, Mm -hmm. on the big screen just recently. 30 minutes into it, I turned to Loki and I said to him, I'm not sure I understand what's happening. Like, uh, like it, it appears that we're in a prologue scene. We're in a different universe from where we left off the first movie. He turns to me and says, I don't understand either. But what we had was at no point did we think that this is dumb or something you just mm. trusted yeah. the work or that it's unintended exactly like it was one of the most artistically precise movies i've seen in ages absolutely yeah. bruce it actually reminded me i've even got this in my notes it reminded me of when you and i went to see fury road at dandy yeah and we watched that opening prologue we'd had a couple of red wines and all that sort of thing <laughs> through the trailers but we watched that opening scene and remember it was so crazy i turned to you and i go i don't know what i'm thinking like i don't know if i'm crying or i'm <laughs> laughing because the whole thing was so mad to see some extent, I felt a little bit about that with Spider-Man. That it was we were seeing truly new ground being
0: broken in in this in the sequel of year. I, f- I felt like that the first film I watched, the, the first one of these, yes, where I was like, "Hang on, he's saying he's I know his name's Miles, but he's going to become Spider." I just couldn't work out what was going. On. But by the end, I was super happy. I totally. i got to say, you know? the
1: first time I tried to watch Into the Spider Verse, the yeah. first one, I stopped after half an hour <laughs> because it felt. Firstly, it's a kind of it's a sensory assault. That's the first thing. So if you're If you're schooled in sort of the standard superhero stuff, this is going to be very challenging visually. Mm. I struggle with that. And then I also struggled with how disjointed and fragmented the narrative is. I mean, we were just talking about that with uh, Everything Everywhere. I said to Herschel, I think uh, across the Spider-Verse is so much easier to grasp narratively than Into the Spider-Verse. So I found Into the Spider-Verse so convoluted, so (laughs) challenging to view, but I loved it, I I loved it. I thought Across the Spider-Verse had almost encapsulated everything they'd achieved and then exploded its possibilities. I've got a couple of quotes actually related to that. Yeah. I, mean, I think the narrative is incredibly tight. So mm. um, I read somewhere that this is going to be a shoe in for best animated film at the Oscars. It's going to be it's going to be nominated yeah. for. The best question writing. for me is: Is it going to be nominated for best picture? Well, that's actually a question I've because got in my notes here. That's a big debate. Yeah, It's right? Something I've got why in my notes. Why wouldn't you nominate? You? An I don't animation. know if I mentioned
0: in my intro, but the first one won best animated feature film. Yeah. Oh yes, I did. Yeah,
1: yeah, it did. So you know, this is Guillermo del Toro's big line with Pinocchio. You know, when he got his statue yeah. at the, he literally went back and they did an interview with me. And the first thing out of his mouth was, why wasn't this nominated for Best Picture? Yes. I mean, trust Del Toro. To just, he's got an Oscar in his hand. And he's going, why didn't I get nominated? But I mean, we've only
0: had the seal broken on that with Parasite in regards to foreign film, Well, right? that's right. So
1: that only happened, when was that?
0: That's like four years ago, four five or five years ago, right?
1: Yeah. Um, the, the irony of all of this is, cinema really starts with animation. Yes. Right? And cinema, I mean, can we quickly just digress into quickly what cinema is? There is yeah, no. Yeah, why such... not go
0: into the history and what Okay. There is no <laughs> such thing it.
1: as a moving image. So Thank every you. cinema is an animation. It's just still pictures. Oh, that's quantum pal. <laughs> well, that's quantum. <laughs> it's just <laughs> okay. still images strung together. Yeah. You know, usually for us it's twenty four frames a second. You can get as low as sixteen and you still have what's called The illusion of, of continuity. My connection's right? four. <laughs> four
0: <laughs> frames a but second. anyway,
1: what I want to say was if you take a step back for a second, and a lot of people have done those flick books where you make little little picture moving pictures, mm-hmm. right? If we take a step back, any movie is an animation. So when you see anima- animated movies, what you're really seeing in some sense is the purest form of cinema. Cinema came to describe moving images. Animation is the purest form of it. So the idea that you would have a special I mean, trust the Oscars, the only place would have a special award for Best animated Picture and not include that in Best Picture. It's, it's so stupid That's because people Don't take it as serious well, look, But let had, me ask well, you Beauty this Beauty
0: and the Beast right 91, yeah. 92 that, Was that nominated that was for nominated Best nominated Picture? That nominated for Best Picture And that was a big Really? Issue. I remember that I love yeah, that yeah. movie
1: Yeah Okay look I want to continue over here For me this is An incredibly visceral movie Do you guys Because you understand A couple of days ago You saw it right? Yeah What about yeah. it starts With the drums <laughs> the And dr- it's like You're in so a cool. concert and Gwen's playing the drums. Oh, well, and that the, reminds
0: me of like a '60s animation or like yeah. Fantasia or something. It, you know? it, it's because the
1: thump is so big and yeah, they yeah, brought yeah, it up yeah, so much yeah. on the soundtrack that everything in the opening sequence is about rhythm. But, you
0: you know? but
1: that start, that start mimics what you're going to encounter as the movie goes on. It's complex. Yeah. It's it's really convoluted. It's confusing. It's violent. She remember she walks off the stage mm. and just throws the drumsticks yeah, down yeah, and yeah. goes, "I'll find my own band" or whatever she says, right? Or later on, she says, "I found my own band." But it's, a, it's like a metaphor for the complexity that we're going to run into as the film proceeds. And that's the first start. That's the start of the movie. But I also think, <laughs> can I add one? It's not just a metaphor, I think, for the complexity. I agree it's that. It's also a metaphor that the way we encounter art is not just with our minds, but with our bodies. But, that's why, that, but, and, but that's why I use the word say, visceral. Visceral experience, yeah. right? Because I think that, I mean, I don't know if you guys ever had, the, if you had the same feeling as me, the movie is cut, like and by cut I mean edited, to be like a comic strip, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. Or it's drawing on that, that medium. And so there's so much disjointedness, so much fragmentation, just in the way it's cut. It's not like
0: watching a standard But It also reminds me of decoupage or collage yeah, or totally. montage. The fact that they have so many, I think there's, someone said six animation styles. So I'm gonna come right? to that. Oh, yeah. So we're, I'm gonna get to that in a second, but I guess so, you're talking about emotions like loss?
1: Yeah. And, and, and you know, disenfranchisement, isolation, mm. and it's played through the music and the animation and, and the color and uh, the spectrum of it is incredible. But then there's also little things like think about when you're gonna see things like this in an animated movie. But go one step further most movies are not up to the challenge of doing this kind of thing, right? Miles on the train, his face is his huge face mm. on the back of the train when Gwen leaves the band practice. And you know, she walks behind those people, she becomes Spider Woman, mm. she walks back out, she's not she's Gwen again. But Miles is on the back, it's really hard to pick up, but it's absolutely beautiful, right? You've got later on when Gwen's fighting the, the big reptile, yeah. and when she's standing there, you've got her eyes in the background Painted like graffiti on the wall, mm-hmm. so you have to look to see those eyes behind it. It's little things like yeah. that throughout. The, but also, can I say the the film, that's all? Th- that's part of like sort of film history. And I mean, we you know, there's so much that can be said about the way they use framing and cutting to to create really complicated visual landscapes. But the other thing is that's so much about a comic strip as well, right? Comics have complicated movements in space and time through the panels.
0: Can I, what does my head in about this movie and Everything Everywhere is that they are making millions of dollars and becoming yeah, blockbusters. That breaks my brain. Yeah, that, I, I grew up be, with why, this stuff. Why, we'd why, love this yes. stuff. We'd go to the library, we'd find VHS tapes where yeah. this stuff was there, and we're like, wow. But they were cult things for nerds. <laughs> this is now the biggest selling films of years. I, no, I, like, look, I I'm agree like, in relation to
1: Everything Everywhere. I, 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 I don't understand the amount of money that generated. But with Spider Man, no, I'm the exact opposite of you. you. Are you serious? I get the money for everything everywhere because I think it's tapping into a very specific cultural moment, right? And it's a very good film. When I saw Into the Spider-Verse, I didn't know what was going on. (laughs) Who are you taking? I
0: don't
1: know why kids aren't walking out of this. What the hell is this? Wouldn't a kid go, I have no idea what's going on. But it's not just that. Do kids read a lot of comics? If you don't if you don't know what a comic is, how do you visually engage that form?
0: It's asking well, so much of you. Well, look at the response you. to Ang Lee's Hulk. Yeah. Remember, people who yes. Yes. did not and like that film. Right? Yes, and it got lampooned, right? Yeah.
1: And Ang Lee was trying very much for an experimental um, superhero movie. You don't get more experimental with these, than these Spider-Verse movies. What I don't understand is it's, it's no different to me watching something like Super Mario Brothers the other day. There's yeah. so much of a salt in terms of color and light. But what's different about Spider, the Spider-Verse movies, they're asking so much of the viewer. So why are 10-year-olds going to see these movies four or five times? Yeah, but 10-year-olds don't understand most of the Marvel movies or the DC movies that are out there. It's just that's, that's marketing. Yeah, but they are definitely more accessible. Like If you watch Iron Man and you're, like say, 12... I think you can grasp it.
0: I'd just like to but say, that I know you guys aren't big fans, but the Avengers um, endgame and all of that, yeah. there's such... There is some pretty complex plotting and, yeah. and, and backwards uh, in time. Those movies confuse me. I don't know what's
1: going on in those movies. Yeah, but
0: the kids, you know, they were, they were huge. That's the, what I'm people saying. People are yeah. loving them. That I think kids are just smarter than us. We're just, old. Oh. Yeah. But we're I also definitely old. It speaks to the Tired. fractured way they can see They take in media. But there's on more, going, phones, on, there's more like on going on in this movie, though.
1: Craig, you referenced this before, right? The fact that the animation, mm. the design, the look, the tone, the pastel, it changes depending on the world that they're in, right? Mm. Now, when I was watching that, I... First of all, I didn't know if when I first saw the film at the cinemas, I didn't know if like is that is this the way it's meant to look? Is the whole movie going to look like this? Why did they <laughs> yeah. make this choice? Also, Sometimes it didn't like, it didn't look I... like the first. No, movie. No, so, no. So, why no. did I didn't know true. what was yeah, going yeah. on, yeah. right? But what I wanted to say was. So they use it as actually as a narrative technique to try to position yes. you to guide you through the complexity of the story. Mm. And it reminded me of, remember we were younger, Bruce, like 13 years old or something. I went mm. to the John LaCare phase. I read that book, A Perfect Spy, right? Now that book's narrated in two in two parts. One in present tense and the other past tense, depending on what version of his personality he's presenting ah. at that time. And that reminded me what, yeah. what Spider-Man was doing here, it was actually guiding. The the, the the receiver, the audience, through the complexity of the story. Yeah. There's just so much happening. That's what I mean movie. about the aesthetic precision of the film. So many complex choices, but every choice seemed to have a reason. It's like nothing random yeah, yeah. in the movie. Yeah, yeah.
0: No no choice of music. Well like some when they go into the, the headquarters there are different types of spiders, oh, spiders, yes. and they're all different based on where they're from. If they're a comic, if they're a '70s cartoon, whatever they're from, they yeah. have different. And what about the guy that's, that's talking to the
1: psychiatrist? Right? He's, he's he's having a <laughs> yeah, therapy yeah, yeah, session, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. you know, like. But they all look different as well, and and yeah. those things read really sophisticated. Yes. Like my brain's doing stuff, and I'm like. This feels like a lot of different things here. Yeah. This is It
1: takes me into the into the idea of the narrative of the story, right? When I look at the complexity of the writing, like the relationship of Gwen to her father parallels the relationship of Miles to his father. Like the writing of that I connected to that emotionally yeah. very strongly. And it's a connection I couldn't form in everything, everywhere, all at once. I mean, interestingly, though, it's the same Oedipal slash parental yeah. narrative, right? It's, I mean, it's the same. It's yeah. exactly the same. But, but also,
0: it, we've been training for this with Spider-Man for years because, yes. as they say, the of web course. is canonized and you are used to Ben dying. You are yes. used to the father figure having trouble with And, in fact, they train the us kid. in the movie,
1: right? right, because they show us every version yeah. of the Ben, the father, yeah. the Whereas sergeant, the captain. Everything
0: comes out of just a... For, for what is for me, a bunch of nonsense at the end, you go, oh, Yeah, I do feel emotional. <laughs> but that's an you interesting yes. that Because yeah. I've
1: got you, the emotional highs for me really sort of revolve around that concept of the closeness of the relationship, the fact that it's intergenerational angst, mm. but that's present in everything everywhere as well. The question there for me is, I couldn't connect to everything everywhere as I did to Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. Now I wanted to throw an idea out to you guys to see if you if this occurred, if, if you thought of this or if you think I'm going nuts or something like that, right? Now remember, Miles' existence we come to learn actually breaches the the canon mm-hmm. or the canon of events that are consistent to the entire multiverse. Mm. Now that word "canon" is used to really sort of you know denote an accepted theory or belief system. So Miles is like the antithesis of the
0: canon, right? Because Mm. he's going to... Well, he's the breach of the canon. He's the breach of the canon.
1: So... And I mean, a, again,
0: everything everywhere. That's uh, exactly what it well, is. Well, I kept right? thinking of 1985A from Back to the Future 2. Oh, yes. Well, well know, don't okay. go there. That's my That's what I'm, sand, that's, that's what I'm lining on. up here. That's what I'm okay, lining go up. For it, go for it. Go for it. No, I'm
1: saying maybe it's not intentional, but Miles' existence, and they actually reference this in the movie, Miles' existence goes against the canon, but we use the canon, like the three of us or other people use the canon, in a different way, really. We use the canon about established or accepted knowledge mm. or, or theory or information or whatever mm. it is. And... I Wait, don't know for, if it's intended, but I think home, it's this very is intelligent. The one word here.
0: I do know that you've been using: mm. Canon refers to the big, famous things that exactly. everyone yeah. knows exactly. about, like Shakespeare, like Shakespeare whatever. whatever, like the, the, the authority, like the most
1: authoritative. And, 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 yeah, I, and right, I don't want to yeah. go. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, dive down the rabbit hole again. But I want to go back to quantum mechanics. Because okay. quantum mechanics is, to some extent, the rejection of a canon because yeah. there is no determinacy. I think that's. And uh, can I add, not just a rejection of a canon. The rejection of any order that stitches together different things to even make up a canon. One right? thing I Abs- learn
0: about at uni is, is in arts is post-modernity yeah. and, and, and art practices where you don't respect a canon, where ballet yes. can be put against punk music, and that. And I love that the punk is an anarchist in this Spider-Man <laughs> film. How who, is that? Yeah, the and punk is constantly guy. breaking both narrative and form, and is in What two about whenever there's a discussion here, he sort of says something like, "Oh, that's just." Yeah, cast capitalism, capitalism. Yeah, yeah. and
1: then he just walks off it's like yeah. a mic drop every time it's about capitalism yeah, but, yeah, but what about yeah. good I the writing is to create distinctions between all the supporting characters mm. like they're they're all fleshed out they're all funny they're funny yes. as hell so that's something that that really kind of resonated with me right Miles well he's Neo isn't he he's the he's the, yeah. he's the one Well, Well, I assume that's how it's going to close because it's very hard to know because of that last moment where the other mask is, I am the prowler. Yeah. So you remember, because what happens to Neo in the Matrix is that he becomes split off into variations on the one. So the idea of the true one is is gone. (laughs) That's news for me. I didn't know this. Yeah, because the Matrix reloaded. Remember when he talks to the architects? And he's suddenly many, many Neos. Yeah, yeah. So the question is, is... How are they gonna determine the one true Miles? Because if you give up on that narrative, then you're in the space of like serious cyber. But I think but right? be, we gotta be careful here. Remember, what I also love about this movie, it's not a story just about Miles. Gwen is also the one when mm. she's trying to find her way forward. But look at Peter and his daughter, and and she's gonna be like a Pixar character out of number three, right? She's gonna be this cute little baby on his front. <laughs> oh, like, oh yeah, you know, she's right, great. Through. I liked her. But so they're all Looking for a purpose, so again, it's yeah. like a group. That's what I love about. Yeah, but Herschel, At the same time, though, what underpins it is a very, very, like familiar ideological like fabric. Like the, the, the Christ right? story, or the yeah. or the, the, and, and the individual one, um, which is exactly the same. You know, everything, everywhere pulls off the unpull-offable un- feet. in complete randomness. Show me that you still are the one chosen. That's exactly everything everywhere, right? And that's what Hollywood does for us. What I'm interested in is when the third movie of Across the Universe, of the, of the Spider Verse, comes out, are they going to really trouble us with hmm. there is in fact no real Miles? There's just variation. No, no, way. no, 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 no but way. this is what I'm saying. That. They won't. Having said that, there is a massive alternative tradition of movies where that precisely happens all the time. Like Mulholland Drive, Eternal that, yeah, Sunshine is they, that's of the Mind.
0: Well, I think that's what sets this apart. Yeah. If we're going into the multiverse... Well, then it's still a Spider-Man movie, right? Yeah. But I guess that's why you're saying everywhere... Uh, that's what happens at the end of everywhere, I know, right? that's what I'm saying. Because I'm saying they are the same affirmation of the one. It's a right. Spider-Man movie. It
1: just happens to be better than all the other Spider-Man <laughs> I movies. Just think also that That's a big... massive call as well, because Spider-Man is a revered hey, franchise. I love, I, love, right? I love the Sam Raimis. I love all those. Yeah, sp- the original I, I Sam love that Raimis stuff, right? Look, I do love that stuff. But I'm talking about work here that, in my opinion, is working at a substantially higher level. Like, in terms of narrative, in I terms of what it trusts so the audience with. This movie. I want to say a couple, of, a couple of quotes in my, in my research for this. Um, I just
0: want to say I love, I love the prowler. It's Miles oh, I think I, that's great I, it That reminds moment me of, of um, And
1: again Remember we talked about The mirror phase yeah. In our last What episode was it Where we uh, talked one about of the episodes Again this is a very But, but foreshadowing, a trip, the foreshadowing The right? yeah. foreshadowing Miles you've changed your hair But, but other, also jackets.
0: It reminds me of Superman 3 Yeah Which m- less successfully Does <laughs> Superman versus The bad Superman yes. Clark Kent versus The evil Superman yep. Who's on nicotine He's on the tobacco And he's got some stubble And they fight each other but yeah. even then, as a kid, I loved that concept of a good, evil, totally. version of and each the other. idea of a doppelganger is like totally fascinating. Mm-hmm. Right? When The Bravo
1: came out, and oh, it would it have been miles. the fly. The,
0: if you want to hear us talk about the mirror image, is the fly. Oh, in where the we fly, yes. But the mirror image, the the, image that yeah. becomes
1: like so fundamental to so many superhero uh, yeah. franchises. I just want to say a couple of quotes really quickly, which I thought really for me uh, sort of did a good job of capturing this. Um, uh, ben Travers of Empire, he wrote what I thought was something really cool. He, he said, it cranks it every dial to 11 and somehow it doesn't implode in itself. You couldn't get a movie bigger than this. Like mm. it, 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 and that's why Bruce, to some extent... I don't think we can try to predict what beyond the Spider Verse is going to serve up because mm. these guys are off the leash. They've got <laughs> you know what's you know what funny about it? I was I was halfway through the movie and I thought, whoa, there is a structural flaw that is going to be destructive in this movie. And guess what it was? This sound really stupid. I was thinking they just haven't built the spot up enough. This guy's crap. Like this oh, spot yeah, villain, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was only with about. I think it must be five or ten minutes to go. When I remembered, I think Herschel told me, this is just part one of part two. So then suddenly I thought, wow, this is structurally genius. Because Because what they're doing is they're almost using, they're using a four-hour running time Mm. to build an arc of a hero and a villain. That's extremely unusual. Time Out called it Popcorn Entertainment, With pop art genius And I love that they reference the pop art art. Actually that's the Mm -hmm, artistic mm -hmm. reference Because so many of the colours and stuff Are from the pop art tradition What is it? Lichtenstein Yeah, all the dots everywhere So look, I mean My summary It's probably an unbelievably early call But hey Season 2, episode 1 We gotta go in big Um, (laughs) I question I kind of expect this to end up sitting Right up there in the pantheon of second movies in trilogies. I just watched yeah, Godfather. It's very hard to get Empire Strikes Back. Aliens. Yeah, Empire yeah. Strikes back Aliens. I think Aliens. a lot of people, a lot of people are comparing this to what the Do- the Dark Knight did as that I also love Temple of Doom. Well, I know don't forget, when
0: Spider Man Two came out, everyone raved about how yeah. that's much and better than the first. Don't get Spider-Man. me wrong,
1: Spider Man Two um, is a fantastic movie. That's with Molina. Mm-hmm. That's a f- a fantastic sequel. I just think we're now working at a level where if you'd have said to me that the, that people would be daring enough to take Spider-Man in this direction, I don't think you can do this as live action. I don't think you no, you ever can't. And also, it as live like for as critical as I am of the whole Marvel Marvel enterprise and the way that it's brought a template to Hollywood, which I think is undeniable. Spider-Verse is not a Marvel movie in that sense. The aesthetic template is
0: not Kevin Feige with his, this is how you do a Marvel movie. But don't forget, the Russos produced everything, everywhere, all at once, right? They are the guys who did the Avengers multiverse. I mean, that's so interesting. But again, I... What I think is happening is that blockbusters are pushing through their banality they're pushing forward. It's like, a, it's like a balloon with a pen sticking through it. It's yes. like, no, people are pushing blockbusters further than they could ever be so that you can use them to make I mean, money but also do amazing intellectual How great would that be if we stuff. entered an era that would be amazing. in
1: which the blockbuster became a little bit experimental in the way that we might have seen in the 80s and in the 90s well, but that we haven't really seen in major ways for, think that's, for I what, two decades? I think that's an two important decades. point. Doctor Strange, the sequel to Doctor Strange that's was right. a massive flop. Yeah. That's yeah. all about the multiverse. Right, I, I kind of enjoyed the first movie. I, f- I thought that was clever. But there were multiverse elements in the first movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. which yeah. I thought was uh, clever. I really hate number that two. Movie. Um, <laughs> failed completely. But then yeah. you put something like Spider-Man out there. This movie is gonna s- like it's gonna go set some records uh, across all movies, not animation mm-hmm. or anything.
0: All movies, it'll set some records. I but just want to remind kids that we're probably here with multiverses because of comic books. You remember oh, completely, the whole totally. 60s and 70s? It was like you want to kill Superman? Great, let's do this new series where he comes out and it this. Yes. And it was to sell more comics to introduce different characters or variations so of So the multiverse was always worlds. there in the it comic book industry. Good, it was always existing. And it was always motivated by both money and let's have the major plot things happen to characters that it normally doesn't happen to, but then let's just forget it and have a new branch open over here with a whole different bunch of books called the dark verse. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, and it would just go on and on to just keep selling things. So blockbuster traditions and multiverse makes sense yeah. as just a marketing tool, you know, as a way to sell things. All right, let's move on. We're going to discuss more multiverses, and we're going to punch in now for our mise en scene.
2: Mise en scene.
0: Now it's time for our mise en scene, where we zoom in on one scene or sequence from the film. Up first, it's Bruce. What have you chosen for us from Everything, Everywhere, All at Once? there's a really beautiful uh, way that this film
1: stitches itself together. So we talked a lot about quantum theory when we were discussing the hot takes on the film. And so just to recap, quantum theory is based on the fact that everything's random. So just imagine that your whole (laughs) life, everything in the world is random. This is a movie that's gonna try to reassure you that in fact there is a reason for living in spite of all the randomness. So How's it gonna do it? Um, and, it, and it resorts to one of its great tropes, which is martial arts. So there's a wonderful scene in which Michelle Yao is going to fight off against all the people that have been sent to kill her. Mm-hmm. So she's fighting, and there's a beautiful moment where we cut across universes. Like it's a series of cuts, mm. you know, we can call those like parallel cutting, cross cutting, um, but not in time not in space, but interdimensionally, right? So, in fact, someone should do some work on the interdimensional cross-cutting of of everything everywhere. That's a really interesting kind of uh, uh, editing tool. Can I
0: just say, as you're describing that and watching it each time, I have like... the conniptions uh, <laughs> like bad feelings about first AD work like scheduling that shoot <laughs> I think would be an absolute nightmare to get yeah, yeah, every because yeah. there's almost like every single shot has a different type of thing that has yeah, to relate to but other I w- but I guess what I was also mind. thinking about
1: can you imagine the editing nightmare of this
0: movie I'd love to know how much footage did they no, shoot but yeah but it's not just the footage they had to put people in different spots with different lighting yeah, with different yeah. situations they had to sit her in the same spot like for me it's not. that's not just the edit the yeah. edit's kind of simple if you have to do all that work beforehand yes. and that terrifies That'll me to tough. think about that work <laughs> um,
1: so how are they going to demonstrate
0: purpose in
1: randomness? American movies and, and mainstream uh, movies, including comics and Spider-Verse and so on, have been really facing this dilemma for many, many years. So, you know, the Matrix, which I'll go back to again, is a perfect of, example of this. How do you find purpose in the one if, you, if everybody's just a copy of a copy, right? Everyone's in a simulation. They do this really beautifully. So she's fighting with everyone. It's a sort of Brian De Palma slow motion fight scene. And you very rarely see extended slow motion scenes in movies. Mm. So the fact that this movie uses a lot of it to demonstrate action um, is a kind of old school trope that I really liked in it, right? But I really like the fact that you know it was calling me back to stuff of the some of the uh, excessive brand of harm stuff. They play over the fight scene a very famous piece of classical music that has come in a number of times in the film. So you remember when we're in the universe with the hot dog fingers? Yeah. Um, one of my favorite yeah, scenes. I remember that well. Is when. Um, Jamie Lee, Lee Curtis is playing the, the fit, piano, yeah. and Michelle Yak comes and says, Don't stop playing. And, you know, when your fingers are useless, nature finds a way, and your feet play the piano. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, she, what, what she's playing is a piece called Claire de Lune mm-hmm. uh, by uh, Claude Debussy. Right, so Debussy is like a. is that
0: also in like Ocean's Eleven the fountain scene, or is that? Oh, it's one of the scene. most it's famous music. Like it just happens right, to be my yeah.
1: all-time favorite piece of classical music. Right. Right. I bloody love this piece of classical music, um, and I've listened to it a million times and listened to it carefully, um, and read stuff about it. Anyway, so it came up, and I and it was perfect for me because this is the movie, the piece of music that I really love. So, the that piece of music takes on not only a sound motif, but a kind of thematic motif of being connected, of joining with each other. And one of the things about that piece of music, it's not classic era, but neither is it a leap into the modern era of the early 20th century. It's right on that cusp. And the cusp means it's always trying to make you feel the tension between feeling a real sense of closure and feeling like unsatisfied by the music. So when the fight scene happens in slow motion, you're hearing this constant Debussy going through it, and there's a famous moment in the Debussy where it gets to this highest point, and then it's going to play what's called—I mean, it's a little bit of a music, musical theory thing—but it's called the sort of the tonic, the, the the base of the of the of the key, right? Right. And all that means is when you play it, and you don't you don't have to know any music theory, but when someone plays that note, it's like. Oh, yeah, I'm just so relaxed. I'm so relieved. And in the moment where they fight and when she wins by not fighting, you know, when she, you know, gives everyone a a bit of flower, you know, like Mm. the bouquet of flowers or yeah, she turns everyone into a lover, not a fighter. That's like the gag, right? Yeah. Debussy's thing hits that perfect tonal closure. And as I'm watching, I'm going, oh, that's just so beautiful. And it's just, you know, it's the power of music to match thematically what they're trying to show you, so narratively, thematically, philosophically, it's almost impossible to make me feel purpose in the randomness they're showing me. So what do they do? They play Debussy, and your body just feels it, right? You just feel so enlivened by the sense of ah, everything has a purpose, everything's okay. That's it.
0: That's that's the. Oh, miss I like on that. Scene. I like the Debussy. Uh, Go back and connection. listen to the Debussy like over that. it.
1: It's used so well, and the Debussy track. It's really important. It's that one. And it's not like an earlier classical form, like a Mozart or a Beethoven. But one thing I'll just quickly say is, music, uh, especially scores like the uh, non-diegetic, which means it's not in the movie, it's like uh, it's like a score, like a like a, you know, what's his name from uh, Nolan, who's the guy who's, that does all the Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer. Zimmer. Oh, so right. it's like a Hans Zimmer score, a John Williams score, right? The composition of those scores means so much to how you feel and how you're gonna receive this movie. So. If you don't do Debussy and that beautiful note of resolution and you did something like the Bernard Herrmann in the final scene of Psycho, (laughs) you've got the total opposite feeling. There's no closure. It's in fact, you know, I said that in the Debussy, it's that kind of tonal center, the one chord. Mm -hmm. In Psycho, there's no tonal center deliberately. Bernard Herrmann, again, you're searching for it, but he deliberately stops you hearing it and all you see is mother talking crazy. (laughs) You know, so there's this wonderful use of music to bring about purpose in randomness, not through dialogue and not not in any kind of great plot contrivance, but playing a bit of Debussy. Oh, I see that scene again. Actually, I, I do, know.
0: but oh no, I get that scene. I remember that feeling, and I just remember emotion. Like again, yeah. I uh, mean, it's the me emotion. Not understanding it, you're it's like, me. O- you're overwhelmed by the emotion, and I think it's because of Debussy. Yeah, yeah. This is controversial. Is it cheap? Like. If I played that Over some footage Of some zebras In slow-mo Like I'll get The same feeling Probably yeah, well, that, you, know, I, like, you can put that sh- On just anywhere play, Just listen to that track Instead it's like of watch what's that movie <laughs> <and you're gonna laughs> I'm go.
1: trying to think Of a movie Where what, where a piece of music Comes Oh no It's desperate Out of Seinfeld When the, the track Plays oh, over, right. over the radio And, the guy, and you just sit there And stare straight ahead <laughs> You're right If you put Debussy Over everything Because that has A certain compositional Quality Right mm. I don't think It's cheap though It's Like hey If you're going to sure. Try and no, get a home run Put that's, Debussy that's incorrect. on it That's I mean right? it's
0: just It's, it's a good shorthand And they've earned to, with everything else oh, they've done t- no, they, they, But they t- they're, earn they're, they're, earn they're referencing by...
1: so many things yeah. because yeah. as soon as you as soon as you say everything's uncertain you can break any rule that you want yeah. because there's no determinacy right mm. so putting Debussy so you're a classical or sort of like uh, like definitely uh, canonical uh, to use that word yeah bring the canon to to stitch it all together for
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, that is interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, there it is. Musical theory, just to add to the quantum mechanical <laughs> theory. We're having a great. Hey, it's like th- an a- undergraduate course. This is a great first podcast. episode. I uh, please come back. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> Herschel, how about your miss on scene?
1: mise en scène? Mise
0: um, en scène. Okay. Um, I've got a, a really well developed. Speaking of theories, a
1: very well developed <laughs> theory actually that for a movie to truly be great. You've got to have like a killer ending, amazing ending, kick-ass mm. ending. Now, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, one of the rare achievements of a film peaking at the end. It doesn't slow down. The third act doesn't fail like it does in so many... You issues. mean even though it's a part one of two? Which is weird. You're winning. saying it doesn't Think lose about that it. achievement, right? It Can le- I say it's, It leaves us sitting there yeah. with... Miles and that flicker of his finger and Gwen bringing them all together. Yeah, that was And cool. it's setting the scene for the future. But Can I
0: add, my personal preference a lot of the time is for films to end like that. Mm. Like Back to the Future mm. 2, Empire Strikes Back. Like I like it when things are like, yeah, life isn't happy and yes. there might not be a happy ending. It yeah. might just be tomorrow's another day. But
1: that's why I was asking before, do you think there's any iota in this movie that is not going to restore the happy ending Not
0: based on everything I've three. ever seen, ever. <laughs> <laughs> you look at Return of the Jedi, you look at Back to the Future yeah, yeah, yeah. 3, it's all going to be okay. I don't know. Like, yeah. these,
1: I, I, I don't think these people are constrained by anything. I think oh, they're man. working out there. This is bold stuff. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I, sorry, I, yeah. I, look. I hope they... I'm not, I'm not asking for a negative ending in which Miles becomes like completely dissolved in the chaotic multiverse, mm. but if they could push it a bit... I just don't want to see all the dead people (laughs) sitting in the force with the blue halo around them. That would be disappointing. Look, I'm talking about uh, when, not a scene but a sequence, where Miles rejects the canon and he says, no, I'm going back, I'm going to save my father. So Mm. he turns his back and he's willing to sacrifice everything for that because, like in Everything Everywhere, he reaches the final conclusion that that is all that matters. So he gets into the machine and he goes back to his original universe. Now this is where it's, that final sequence is actually very complex. So I'm not so much interested in, in explaining exactly what the sequence is. Our, our listeners can watch it, and you know, if you watch it a second or third time, you're gonna get a lot more out of it because there's so much going on. But what struck me the second time I saw this was the level of reference that this film has to other films, mm-hmm. especially through the sequence. So Miles goes back, to his own universe. At the same time, the pursuers have gone back to destroy Miles because if he Mm -hmm. stops his father from dying, it will be the prevention of a canon event which could destroy the entire multiverse. Gwen has gone back, um, and she goes back to Miles' house. Now, here's where the scene splits into two, and it's so clever because if you think about it, how would you keep people clear on what's
0: going on here? I don't know what you're going to reference, but (laughs) it's what I, I... Is it...
1: Is I'm it re- silence
0: the lambs? No, no, no. I'm going to okay. go to Back to the Future 2. Oh, okay. But just remember that moment where Jodie Foster yeah, goes yeah, at yeah, the end of the movie, yes. and it's Buffalo Bills house. And doesn't know. Okay, so, right. so there's a lot
1: there's a lot going but on also, there. The mistaken re- location. Yeah. I want yeah, to yeah, also yeah, to yeah. remember that something that's always to use a pun in the frame is the fact that this is a comic book, mm. right? And comic books are about split panels. So everything in a comic is a split screen. Every every single. Image in a comic is part of a split screen. So I love that they go to the split mm. in, okay, in so every way. So now yeah. we've got the split scene, right? They keep it perfectly organised. So you've got Miles coming back to his original home. Now, you're going to pick this up on a second viewing, but it's pretty straightforward to see that his room is quite different to what his room usually is. It's darker, mm-hmm. it's a bit more dishevelled. But what they do so brilliantly is when his mother walks into the room, she's folding washing, he, her sort of baby name for him mm. is slightly different to what it is in the other universe. The way she talks to him is slightly different. She says, oh, you changed your hair. At the same time, Gwen is in his, or she's walking up the wall. She's in his real universe. Of, of, the, of the room, yeah. but at this point, you don't know where she is. You don't yeah. know why they aren't in the same place. Yeah. They've also got <laughs> the pursuers in the traffic. Now, remember the character with the big afro, the, the lady mm-hmm. with the massive yeah, afro yeah. hair on the motorbike? Did anyone see Trinity on the motorbike? Like she yeah, looks at I that shot saw, is exactly true to the moment. I also other saw the bride in Kill Bill, yeah, but yeah, then I exactly. also saw black exploitation. Mm. Yeah, and absolutely. she was such a black exploitation. Mm. It's so referential. It's so yeah. referential, yeah. right? Yeah. Now when Miles says to his mother, "I've travelled so far and I've met so many interesting people, but what I realise is it's here that matters. It's mm. the love I feel for you and that you feel for me." And then you know there's that funny scene where he opens up his shirt and he goes, I'm Spider Man. And she looks at him <laughs> I love that. And He's it's so wonderful. so she obviously she doesn't know who Spider Man yeah. is and he yeah. goes, What are you talking about? And this is again the foreshadowing. Yeah. Um he says, Dad worked with Spider Man, remember? Yeah. And she goes, What? And You're right, it's very silence of the lambs. Oh, that split like Mar- scene yeah. it's good. Well, yeah, I didn't I- it didn't occur to me like, as well. It's like Jodie Foster. Yeah. No, so I want to take you to Back to the Future 2. Yeah. Okay. Marty McFly catches the, de- the-, the DeLorean back to 1955. But when, well, sorry, back to 1985, but an alternate reality after Biff has made all his money and turned Hill Valley into a terrible den of iniquity, mm-hmm. right? Now, when Marty arrives, um, jumps over the fence, gets into the apartment, that is very similar to Miles climbing through the mm. window and Gwen climbing through the window in the other thing. Okay? Actually, you're right. It's a direct reference. It's a direct reference. It's, it's a direct a reference. reference to it. Um, when Gwen's standing there, uh, she talks to Miles' dad, mother, and father, saying, "You don't. Know, you never believe how much he loves you." Yeah. Um, I was seeing the father-child figure, but the dad in 1985's got the baseball yeah, 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 yeah. What are you doing in my daughter's yeah, no, room? No, 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 so he's like, yeah. he's Strickland
0: at that point. <laughs> so well, no, that, that's, that's the black family at the moment, right? Like <laughs> <he's>, like, <laughs> yes. Yeah, we know, and there's yeah, Michael that's, Jackson. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's, actually, that's the father in, 1980 yeah. 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 Black in 1985.
1: Family, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. of course. Um, when it's revealed that when Miles meets the uncle, walks outside with the uncle, sees the mural, and it says, rest in power, but now his father's dead, Remember Marty McFly mm. at the gravesite? Ah, yes. He realizes that his dad's dead. Wow! So it's kind of an extended, it's, it's an extended engagement with referential scene. the Back to the Future mythos. Really. Absolutely. Yeah. So when I was seeing it for a second time, I saw all these touch points. Between this movie, but it's not just back to the future. Look at the Matrix. Mm. It's referenced. Well, but well, is also
0: out of time and space. He's in the yeah. wrong narrative, yes, yes. right? Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, also, when they cut back from when he escapes and he thinks he gets back to his place, there's a, there's a sequence where they're definitely riffing on the Vangelis score in Blade Runner. Mm. I don't know if you noticed that, yeah, like yeah, that, that. Yeah, all the rain. So, yeah, whenever there's that neo-noir type thing... It's Vangelis. It's a. Re- it's not actually Vangelis, mm. but it's like a riff on that Vangelis structure. I just want to move forward, pretty much to the ending, where Miles now realizes that in this world, his uncle is alive and his father's dead. We don't know how that happened. We don't. Know but the also, uncle the uncle's with the mother. The uncle. Well, with the mother, but he hands her some money. Yeah. We don't know what that relationship is. They go upstairs. We discover that the Miles of this world is in fact the prowler, mm-hmm. and how menacing is that kid oh, that when, he, when he turns up?
0: Can I say when he punched the, the bag and it oh. was, I thought that was Miles dead. Yeah. I was like, yeah. "What is Miles dead? Did yeah. he just punch his it's, head?" It's, it? That it's, was ama- It's
1: an amazing. I mean, the, the whole thing's amazing. Yes.
0: The, the the
1: mirror image of the two of them mm. was just stunning. Like I didn't know of anything about the movie, mm. but then I think it also references the ending of lots of number two movies mm. okay so when miles is tied up and all is lost right it's it's like Empire strikes back all is lost it's d- it's dark yeah. um you got Gwen putting together the band of people she goes I made my own band mm. and she goes you want to join us and the final shot you go to miles oh, and you think great. it's all at an end yeah, yeah, yeah. and then his finger flickers and then it cuts the credits yeah. and for Wait, me it was you kind of, of like I
0: mean what is that
1: Well, because remember, he can use energy to break things. Oh, that's right. Mm. Um, And for me, it was like remember the end of Back to the Future: Roads, where we go. We don't need Mm -hmm. roads. It's got that kind of levity at the end of it. Yeah. Like I think that's what this movie captures. So, but levity, yes. But it's still very dark. Yeah. I didn't expect it to go that dark for the ending.
0: Um, (laughs) I'm excited uh, about the pig being back. Wasn't the pig in the lineup <laughs> and the, the band? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm yeah so well, the pig for was that back. Pig, they were man. all
1: there. <laughs> I also like the fact that this movie is a little bit more explicit about. Well, I mean, what's your take on the? On, on the way the movie engages politics, like the punk character mm. who is
0: constantly critiquing capitalism. Well, I wonder if he's critiquing or if he's just a parody. That's what well, I'm. Well, this is the. Thing. Out, Are we you know? talking
1: about the perfect postmodern kind of appropriation quotation, or is there like a politics that we're trying to find in the Spider Verse? I find that really
0: interesting. Here's two assumptions, right? Form, kids. Social media, the way you consume, it's it's like it's, it's shifting, like yeah. the frame, like constantly shifting, yes. constantly many streams of information and many different opinions and bubbles. Now you might live in your own bubble, right? So I think that these films are saying this is our modern way of, some people call ADHD. It's just very fractured and very yeah, fast, yeah, yeah. right? Really and and argument. that's what ha- we're. That is the form we're taking to present, right? But what I want to know from you guys is post-truth, post-Trump, all of those uh, catchphrases for you choose what you want, you believe what you want. And then is it disconcerting that these heroes are going to do what they want based on whatever the hell they've got going on inside not based on an objective fact not based on what is good for everyone not you know not having that understanding like is that a disconcerting trend in these types of films let me point out also that I used to be concerned with superhero narratives always being about loss, losing the power you have, yeah. where you look at silent comedies. It's about you don't even have anything to begin. Yeah. It's all about trying to get food, trying to get a job, trying to get a house. You're trying to get things. All of these superhero narratives that kids were consuming, it's about you've already got all the power. You might just lose it. Isn't that a bit sad? And that's all that's at stake. And I'm wondering with this type of film, are the heroes making their own choices, and is that a good thing? Is there no objective truth in these worlds, uh, these multiverses?
1: I think the multiverse as a narrative trope has suddenly exploded, right? Yeah. But it's not just exploded in the last few years with the literal multiverse. We've had multiple states of being and time, you know, back to the future. Well, well, I was trying Matrix to think of the
0: oldest ones and what they yeah. were, and I came up with It's a Wonderful Life, and then Dickens's A Christmas Carol, yeah, as examples of someone who goes on a journey of different parallel times and yeah. adventures, but it's always morality. It's always like, yeah. no, you have worth and you should do but it's good. But also, you
1: go on the journey to restore something about the actual world, right? Yes. The objective world. Yeah, yeah. To make Whereas the world a better place. the we are in the world of quantum theory, where no one world is superior to another. Mm. There is no first world. But uh, there is no it, original and simulation. There's just everything equal as a constant But I still think it's advocating right. It's advocating for a certain point of view, though. Miles is willing to sacrifice everything to save his father because he can't believe that the world or the multiverse is created in such a fashion that his father has to die. So that's a choice that he makes. I think to, to that extent, it is kind of a rejection of the indeterminacy, the, the uncertainty. Oh, to- no, no. But I, I mean, look, I think, as we've talked about in this pod, throughout the whole pod, but this episode especially... It's really hard for a mainstream movie, let alone a superhero movie, to undermine the basic value of the superhero now. I mean, think about what it's saying. Yeah. A superhero, what is that? That is an individual. So, number one, the superhero genre is not about the collective. It's about an individual mm-hmm. that is going to be somehow greater than the collective. As right? is
0: Harry Potter.
1: Well, the all the, Well, Gang. you know, what's his name? The guy that did all the Star Wars stuff? Lucas. Um, Lucas, but he talked to the guy oh, that Joseph he called Campbell. Joseph Campbell. Yeah. So the, the the hero with a thousand faces, yeah. right? So one of the things that it seems to me that this whole narrative um, structure is about is about saying you too can be that heroic. You can triumph over anything you want. Um, I did some work with a bunch of people. This is many years ago now, like 15 years ago, to 10, 15 years ago. And their whole work was on Star Wars mm. as an individualist fascist narrative. And their claim was – they wrote a book called The American Superhero. Their claim was that the entire superhero structure in American pop culture – was in fact related to fascist rather than democratic discourse. Wow. And there's a lot to be said for that if mm-hmm. you think about what the superhero is, right? Um, the only thing that makes it interesting and challenges that view of uh, John Shelton Lawrence and Robert Jewett, uh, the, the colleagues that I was working with, the thing that challenges that position is the way that the superhero genre has evolved in our time. I think over, let's say, Dark Knight or the Batman as a superhero or Spider versus a superhero yeah. movie. So the superhero genre has evolved, but I don't see the superhero movie as some kind of you know collective political but enterprise. That's why I was I was actually going to say that a second ago because to some extent I know that you put this into uh, you know into a category called the superhero movie and it is a Marvel movie, but. There's a hell of a lot about this movie that's not a superhero movie. Totally. These are completely flawed characters who make poor decisions based on their own self-interest because they love a particular thing, which, if they choose that path, can destroy everything else. So, Mm -hmm. you know, are they Mm. really superheroes? If you think about that, that's literally the narrative device at the end of the first Superman where he has to go back in Spins time the and world break back. the ultimate rule because he loves Lois Lane. I'm saying these are just reci- – but I'm not criticising it. I'm saying those are fundamental sure. things to our being, right? That's what we all live for. We all want to be superheroes.
0: <laughs> we all want to be little
1: super- <laughs> like super supermen and women. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. Well, there you go. That is our first episode back for season two. Uh, it's quite a hefty episode with a lot of philosophy, a lot more than we normally do on yeah, the show. At the
1: same time, Craig, let me say, I think those yeah. movies
0: required it. For those sure. movies. No, I couldn't put write a the synopsis in the for domain most of, those. Of, of
1: philosophy, right? They, yeah. they wanted to do it. These they are challenging to... movies. Yeah. The people who wrote them, the people who directed it, they know it's challenging. What I like about it, the, what I like about the fact that we chose these two to kick the season off is that we just want to engage with how challenging it is. Yeah. Like it was, you know, these movies are not going to be easy. It's like a positive thing that Craig said earlier, isn't it nice to encounter big movies mm. done by, okay, A24 is not. Sony or Disney, but they're not the smallest independent grassroots team. They're a big company, and isn't it great to see them investing in this level of content? In the same way that Marvel's do in Spider-Verse, which I would have thought, unthi- you know, I can't even put it next to Iron Man or Black Panther or any of those sorts.
0: Uh, join us next week as we compare the pinnacle of time travel adventure films and Robert Zemeckis's Back to the Future versus the intellectual time travel masterpiece, Arrival, by Denis Villeneuve. We're going to be looking at time, narrative, loss, and love. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Instagram at film versus film Podcast. Boys, do you have anything else to say?
1: I thought I did have something that I wanted to mention.
0: I um, want to say a big shout-out to our biggest fan, which is Jill Stone. She's the mother of Henry Stone, a director um, who's a friend, and she came to our podcast launch at Matinee. Oh, wow, well, Matinee Cafe lovely. in Maryville, and she, she loved it. And now she watches every film that we're going to do because she's, like, oh, such I a I wanna super fan. I want to say that about
1: this season as well. Craig Hirsch and I are huge podcast nuts, and we love movies. So to say to people we've made a real effort to pick movies that you will be able to access, and even when you can't, will
0: give you some lead time. Yes, right. so the next week is Back to the Future, which I'm sure you can find. You get anywhere. Get that yeah. And Arrival, which is a very I think it's Netflix. It's a Netflix in Australia. So yeah. have a look for those two films and and give them a watch before next week. But well, you gotta watch Arrival. If you've not seen it, you need to see it at least three times.
1: And you gotta watch Dennis Villeneuve because don't forget Dune
0: 2 comes out later this year. Alright, well thanks for listening. I've been Craig Anderson. I've been Bruce Isaacs. I've been Herschel Isaacs. Join us again for film versus film. Take two.
1: Film. First. Film.